Open your Bibles up to Mark chapter number 8. Mark chapter 8. I was reading a book this past week by a man named David uh, Paulson, and he's a counselor. And he told a story at the very beginning of the book, and I thought, this is a great illustration. He was in his home uh, one afternoon, and and he lived in a neighborhood, and he saw a guy walking down the street, but he was kind of erratic, and the guy was smoking something. He was, you know, kind of going this way, tripping over himself, and it looked like he was going like this back and forth and back and forth, and, and he was yelling out, okay, 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 like that. And he thought, oh, no. I don't know this guy. I've never seen him in our neighborhood before. He's obviously probably high. He's got some kind of problem, you know. And so he kind of watched him out there, and, and the guy just kept, you know, smoking his thing and going down. He thought, oh, i got to call the police. So he called 911, and the police officer soon arrived, and pulled up, you know, next to him. And the man jumped the curve and ran to the police car and said, oh, sir, sir, help me. Police officer, I I need to find my dog. I'm looking for my dog. And he said, his name is Jose. And so this man was just walking down. He was smoking a cigarette, just walking down the road, looking for Jose, going, Jose, Jose. And the perspective of this man in the house was this guy was crazy and something was going on. Of course, the police officer listened, and he said he watched the police officer pull away, and the police officer rolls his eyes like the crazy man's in the house, right? (laughs) But, you know, it's interesting. It's possible for us to see something with our physical eyes, but not truly understand what is taking place. The same is true in the spiritual realities of this world. And as humans, sometimes we have ideas in regard to spiritual things, and we think, well, oh, certainly that's right. So a lot of people have ideas, what they Think about this physical universe and the spiritual realities in this universe. And some people look at things around us. They say, well, people are just a big lump of cells, right? There's no purpose in life. You know, just live and, and you die and you go back to dust. And that's what, how people, they think that's the reality. Some people look at the world and see their religion as the true reality. You know, well, this is what I think God is. And this is what I think is true. And this is how I think you get to God. Some people conclude there is no God. Some people conclude that, that this world just about having a good time. So they're just going to enjoy their life while they can, and then they're going to die. But what is the true reality of this world? Right? There can't be a lot of realities. There's one, true spiritual reality. In other words, if you could see the truth about the world around you, what would that look like? Probably scare us a little bit, wouldn't it? Or in other words, put it this way. What would it be like to look at the world through the eyes of Jesus Christ? That's what we're going to look at this morning. The title of my message is Seeing Reality Through Jesus' Eyes. And we already read through Mark 1 through 26, so we're not going to read through that again. That was our text here for this morning. But let's start with a word of prayer, and then we'll dive into this passage. Father, we pray that you, God of our Lord Jesus Christ, would give spiritual wisdom to us, give revelation of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. Open our eyes. May our eyes be enlightened to see the truth. May we know what is the hope of God within us through Christ. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance? May we understand the truth. So we 
need the touch of grace upon our hearts and our minds this morning. We ask this in your name. Amen. So we're in Mark chapter 8, and we saw last week in Mark 7 that Jesus went to the Gentile area of Tyre and then up to Sidon and then over and down to the Decapolis. And he was on a missions trip to the Gentiles, showing his disciples that he had come for the Jew first, but then also for the Greek. Then we go into Mark chapter 8, and we find Jesus in the same area, the Decapolis. In fact, if you look in uh, Mark 8, 1, the beginning, Mark writes, in those days, which links chapter 8 with chapter 7. Again, I'm not going to read through this passage, but just think through what's happened here in Mark chapter 8. Of course, Jesus is still in the Decapolis. He did many miracles amongst the Gentiles there. And then in verses 1 through 9, he gathers thousands of people, and they stay for three days and listen to him teach. And then he, they don't have any food, so he miraculously feeds them. And then in verse 10, you can see that he takes a boat and goes back to the Jewish population there across the Sea of Galilee. He gets off a boat, finds the Pharisees, or the Pharisees find him. They argue with him. Verse 14, he gets back in a boat, goes back across the sea of Galilee. Verse 22, he comes to Bethsaida and he heals a blind man. So that's kind of the whole story there of Mark chapter 8. And there's a little bit more we're going to talk about in a couple weeks, but generally that's it. And you're like, why are you going through all this stuff? I thought we we're just going to go through a, a passage, right? Well, in order to understand this passage, we must understand the chronology of these events. It's actually really fun to study the Bible and to discover the flow of a passage and the reason why things are put together the way they're put together. One suggestion I have for you, if you ever study the Bible, is to over and over ask the question, why? And then to find the answer in the Bible, in the text there. And so, for instance, why did Mark put these stories in here in this order, right? There were many things that Jesus did that are not put in the scriptures. That's what John says in his gospel. In fact, if we were to put all the miracles and all the things Jesus did in books, he says the world could not contain them. So why did Mark choose these stories in this order? Why did Jesus do what he did in the order he did it? In other words, he's sovereign. He planned out his life. So why did he do it that way? In fact, if you look down in Mark chapter 8, verse 22 through 26, you see the story. We didn't read it this morning, but you see the story of the blind man. And you might be tempted to think, is that just a random story that Mark threw in there? It's like, oh, yeah, by the way, I want to do this. I don't think so. And I think there's a reason why all these stories are in here and kind of lead up to the story of the blind man being healed. So let me just cut to this chase and say this. I think that Mark uh, 1, 1 through 26 is put in here to demonstrate that Jesus sees reality. He sees spiritual reality, but humans are blind to spiritual realities. So you see the Gentiles who are idol worshipers in general. They're idol worshipers. They're blind to spiritual realities. So what's Jesus doing? He teaches them the truth. He wants to open their eyes up to the truth. Then you see the Pharisees. The Pharisees are arguing with Jesus. They're blind guides, blind leaders of the blind. And he wants them to know the truth, but they reject him. Then the disciples, and they do see some truth, but they don't see it very clearly, do they? And so Jesus then tells these about these people that are blind, and then he leads up and he heals a man who is blind. So you have three groups who are spiritually blind, and then you have a man who is physically blind. What you see is Jesus is pointing out here as he goes to the story that 
humanity is blind to spiritual realities. Jesus sees the truth, and Jesus can open up blind eyes. In fact, look at verse 22. So I'm just going to read through this part of the the blind man, because to understand this part is to understand the first part of the chapter. So look at verse 22. Mark 8, 22 says, And they, that's Jesus and the disciples, came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him, Jesus, to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand, led him out of the village, and when he had spit in his eyes, I don't know what that really looked like there, but you can imagine that. He spit in his eyes, and he laid hands on him. He asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up, and he said, I see people. So he received his sight there. But they look like trees that are walking. So let me pause here to to tell you that Jesus heals this man, but it happens in two stages. The first stage we saw right there. He puts spit in his hands on him, and he is healed. He can see But it's not very clear here. Now, let's back up and ask this question. Why do you think Jesus spit on him and touched him? (laughs) Well, I'll just tell you, I don't know the answer to that. But I do think this. I think as far as the spit, I don't really know. As far as touching him, this man couldn't see. The only senses, well, he lost that sense. So the sense he had that was the strongest was what? A touch. So when Jesus came up and healed him, Jesus touched him. Kind of like the the lady or the person last week, the man last week who was deaf, right? And so, so we see this, the first stage is verse 24. He looked up, so Jesus healed him, and he said, I see people, and they're walking like trees. In other words, what's he saying? He's like, people are blurry. Now, if you're in here and you wear glasses and you have thick glasses or contact lenses that really hurt your eyes because they're thick, you, and you, in other words, you're clinically blind, you kind of know what he's talking about, right? Last night, there was a mosquito flying around my room, and I didn't have my glasses on, and I'm like, trying to find it, and everything's kind of blurry. So that's what's happening. He can see, but it's blurry. And then verse 25, then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Now, that last word is so important. He saw things now clearly. So there's two parts to the healing here. You have the part where he gives him sight, and you have the part where he helps him to see more clearly. Now, why does he do it like this? I mean... Is he an, was he an unable to heal him in one healing? No, that's clearly not the case. Jesus could have just thought something and thought, be healed. And the man could have been healed of his blindness. So why is Jesus doing this? Again, asking these questions. Why did he do it in two phases? Well, remember, what's the point of this entire passage here leading up to verse 26? And that is this, that Jesus must give you spiritual sight and also spiritual clarity. He must give you spiritual sight and spiritual clarity to see the truth, the true reality of this world. So there's two parts there. First of all, he must give you physical sight or spiritual sight. So he, this man physically was blind, couldn't see. He gave him sight. And then this man couldn't see clearly. So he gave him clarity to be able to see. And what's interesting, as you look through this passage, Mark 8, 1 through 26, You see two groups of people, one who are spiritually blind, completely blind, and Jesus needs to give them sight. Like, how can the Pharisees have spiritual sight to see? Well, Jesus needs to heal them like this blind man. How can the crowds have spiritual eyes to see? 
Jesus needs to give them the spiritual eyes to see. But then you have the disciples. They do understand some things, but they're kind of confused here, right? They don't see very clear. And so what, what do the disciples need? They need Jesus to give them clarity in their spiritual sight. So the problem is presented in Mark 8, 1 through 26. And the solution is, is, is given here, um, 1 through 21. And the solution is given here in 22 through 26. And that is Jesus must give you spiritual sight and then spiritual clarity. And so we're going to look through the eyes of Jesus today. And we, when we have the eyesight of Jesus, when we can see the reality of the world around us like Jesus does, what does that look like? We're going to look at three ways, that uh, three different uh, views of Jesus. One, number one, when we have the eyes of Jesus, we see the love he has for people. Number two, we see the sorrow he has for unbelief. And number three, the desire he has for maturity. So if you have a bulletin, you can open that up. You can see those three points in there. The love he has for people, the sorrow he has for unbelief, and the desire he has for maturity. So go back up. To Mark chapter 8, verse 1. First, we're going to look at the eyes of Jesus. As he looks at people, he sees the love he has for those people. In verse 8, it says, In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered, and they had nothing to eat. Okay, just pause. Jesus is super tired by this point, isn't he? Again, they're gathering. They don't have anything to eat. Do you think he has something to eat? He called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the, cr- the crowd. Now, th- notice Jesus' love for these people. The word compassion, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. It speaks of a gut-wrenching, deep, personal affection for people. It's the idea of that it, it's not just something in my head. It comes down into my inner vital organs. It's like I feel it in my gut how much I love these people. Now, let's think about Jesus, because he is God. He's God, because he looks at people, he sees the reality. And there's a couple things he could have looked at. First of all, he could have looked at them and thought to himself, you're kind of all getting in my way. You know, this is three days of teaching. I'm tired. I want some rest. You know, he could have thought, I have a ministry going forward. I'm going to die. I need to get prepared for that and be ready for that. He could have seen them, as, in other words, as people who were in his way. I mean, think about maybe there was a little child that was playing on the ground there. Maybe there was a woman that was holding a child or a man who was listening to his teaching. Think about those people. When he looked at these people, what did he see? He could have seen just creatures, right? Kind of like a lab rat. I mean, he's the creator God. He's the infinite being who has always been, always will be. And he sees these creatures are only going to be on the earth for a couple years, right? So he could have looked at these people and been like, oh, yeah. That person's made of about, what, 65% water? You know, it could have been very scientific, in other words. But Jesus saw something different. When he saw people, what he saw were souls. He saw souls that he loved. And let that sink in. When Jesus views people, he sees souls that he loves. In fact, twice in the book of Mark, up until this point, it's said that Jesus had compassion on someone. Mark chapter 1, verse 41. Mark chapter 6, verse 34. But this is the first time, and actually the only time I can find, that Jesus out of his mouth, that it's recorded, that is, that Jesus out of his mouth says, I have 
love or compassion for these people. And notice who these people were. Who were they? They were the lovely Jewish people, right? No, they were the Gentiles. Now think about that. These were the unlovely, in their minds, the unlovely people. And Jesus says, I have a compassion, a love for these people. In verse 9, it says there were about 4,000 people there. And actually, if you look over Matthew, it says that there were 4,000 men plus women and children. So sitting in front of Jesus was what? Maybe, maybe like six, seven, eight, ten thousand, maybe more than that. Depends how many children people had back then, right? If they had as many as I had, maybe they had 20,000. Who knows? But look at verse 3. Here's Jesus' concern. He says, if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them will... Have, some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered and said, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? It's like, guys, really? <laughs> Are you kind of feeling a deja vu? Like, didn't this happen before? You guys remember this? It did happen. When? Mark chapter 6. When Jesus was with the Jewish people and he multiplied bread to 5,000 men plus women and children. So you remember that? Sometimes, sometimes people think, well, aren't those the same story? No, they're very different. There's some similarities. He obviously multiplied bread and, and fish for thousands of people. He taught thousands of people. But there's some very distinct differences. Number one, in Mark chapter 6, there's five loaves and two fish that, fish that Jesus multiplies. And there's 12 small baskets left over. And then in Mark chapter 8, there's seven loaves and a few fish. And there were 12, seven large baskets left over. But the major difference is this, and that is in Mark chapter 6, those are Jewish people that he's feeding. So the natural response after that was, if you look in the book of John, the natural response is he fed them. And they go, oh, our Messiah, our king. He can feed us just like that. That's just great. Like the kingdom has come. The Gentile people, though, were the ones that were fed in Mark chapter 8. And how do you think the disciples responded to that? I mean, it's natural if you see this amazing miracle that Jesus does for Jewish people to think, yeah, of course he's the Messiah for the Jews. This is the kingdom has come. And then he does this for the Gentiles, and it's like, wait a second, what? What's he doing here? What's happening here? Now, why did the disciples not see what Jesus was suggesting? Jesus is suggesting, like, let's get some food for them. They need to eat. Did they not remember what happened? Well, there's a couple possibilities. One is, some people think, well, they probably just forgot about the feeding of the 5,000. Well, that was only a couple months previous. I I, that's not very likely that happened. I mean, would you forget that? I don't think so. Okay, so how about number two? Some think that they were just trying to understand, they didn't understand Jesus' power fully. Well, again, he's been doing miracles, amazing miracles. I think probably the reason comes down to this. There, there definitely was some spiritual immaturity. We'll talk about that later. But I think it had to do with probably the difference between the two different miracles. The first one was for the Jewish people. This was for the Gentiles. They weren't expecting that Jesus would be that kind of Messiah for the Jewish people like he was going to be for, or for the Gentile people like he was going to be for the Jewish people. So I think probably what you see here is the disciples still aren't seeing clearly what Jesus wanted them to know. And that is that Jesus is the Messiah for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. He is, he has come for both. And of course, they probably would have looked at these Gentiles and thought, what's, what's Jesus doing here? But Jesus is saying, like, I've come to provide for all people. So look at their, verse 5. 
Jesus says, Jesus asked them, how many loaves do you have? Just like he did before. And they said seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down and he took the seven loaves and gave thanks to God. He broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd and they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they looked, I'm sorry, and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And the word baskets there is talking about very large baskets, actually. And they were, there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. The disciples needed to see the spiritual reality that Jesus had compassion and love for the Gentiles as well. So let's first just meditate on this. And that is that Jesus loves people. Think about that. Jesus loves you. But you could put your name in that, couldn't you? Jesus loves Ben. Would you do that with me? Put your own name in that and say with me. Jesus loves Ben. Not me. <laughs> put your own name in it, right? Think about that. The Bible says in 1 John three sixteen, this is how we know about God's love. If you want to see what love looks like, here's what it looks like. He laid down his life for us. And so if you're in here today and you don't know the love of Jesus, that in other words, you haven't given your life to him, then we invite you to trust in him as your Savior and Lord and experience the love of Jesus, his death on the cross for you. And I think the other one is our spiritual eyes can be blinded like the disciples. To see people as people whom God loves. Like these are people for whom Christ died. I was in Starbucks this past week waiting in line. Um, I like to go there sometimes and study. And so I was waiting in line for my coffee. And I was thinking about what I was actually, interesting enough, I was thinking about my message. I'm thinking about some things. And this guy starts talking to me. And he's saying crazy things, calling me like with weird names like Buddy. And, and he was talking about different things. And I'm kind of thinking about, first of all, my order, but also thinking about this. And, and I was kind of annoyed, but I you know, answered his questions, talked to him. Oh, yeah, acted all friendly and stuff. And then I went and sat down and and a while passed, and I started thinking about that. And I thought, oh, no. Guess what? I didn't see clearly on that one. Here I saw him, a guy was kind of annoying me and kind of weird. Like, what's this problem? What's going on? And I didn't see him as a soul who needed Jesus. Like, what an opportunity to talk to someone about the Lord in line. He was the one that talked to me, and he was saying weird things. I mean, who cares what I said back to him, right? Sometimes I think as parents and grandparents, we can be blind to the realities of our kids. Like, we got our things we got to do. You know, we got to clean the house. We got to do this, get this done. And sometimes our kids are sometimes annoying to us, right? And we can sometimes treat them that way and see them that way. And there are obstacles that getting what I want done or, or maybe to enjoying this part of my life. But, but God wants us to see those little souls as, as souls who need to be shepherded and, and with patience and, and love and with intentional training. That's sometimes hard, isn't it, as parents? It's sometimes hard because you're like, that's a, you're really... Oh, wait, I need to have a different perspective on this. Or sometimes even your own spouse or maybe some people at work looking at people and saying, okay, these are people for whom Jesus died. What's the most important thing? And that is having the view that Jesus had. The Bible says in 1 John three eighteen, little children, let us not love in word or just talk, but also in deed and in truth. So Jesus' perspective is that he loves people and also the sorrow he has sorrow for people who are 
unbelieving. He has sorrow for people who choose unbelief. Look at verse 10. So he goes now out of the Gentile territory into the Jewish part of Galilee in verse 10. And immediately he got into a boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. Verse 11, the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. Now imagine this encounter. Jesus has been away for a couple months. He comes back, he gets off a boat, and the Pharisees like V-line it for him, right? They go right up to him and they want to start arguing with him. Like, can you guys just leave him alone? <laughs> I mean, you think about this and I think about it. It's kind of like, it's kind of like that neighbor, you know, that sees everything you do. And then they like to come over and have an opinion. It's like, are you painting that, that color? You know, <laughs> it's like, and that's these Pharisees. They're always kind of like, Jesus, I have something wrong with you. But they were a little bit more argumentative. What were they arguing about? Well, they had a superstition that miracles on earth could be demonic. But if it was done in heaven, it was from God. So if you really wanted to show that you're from God, you'd do a sign in heaven. Like, kind of like Elijah did when he called fire down from heaven. Which I thought about that. I was thinking, would they really want that sign? I don't think so. But I guess they were asking for something like that. But how ridiculous is that? I mean, think of all the things Jesus did. And they're like, well, that's not enough. I need a sign from God. Which basically shows us these men were just spiritually blind. They just refused. They, they were refusing to believe the truth. Jesus says, here's the truth. And they said, nope, we have our own way. We have our own thoughts. We're going to keep with that. In fact, right before this trip, they took to Tyre. The disciples asked Jesus in Matthew 15, they asked about uh, this, the Pharisees. And the disciples said this, do you know the Pharisees were offended when they heard what you said? <laughs> like, Tell us something we don't know here. And then Jesus is how he responded. Leave them alone. He's saying, guys, Get away from that influence. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into the pit. So think about that. Jesus is saying they're spiritually blind and they're leading people astray. So don't follow them because they're going to hell. That's Jesus' perspective on the Pharisees here. So he told his disciples. And unfortunately, that's where, that's where many people are today, right? When we look at this world, we have to look around. We see all these different religions, all these different ways, quote unquote, ways to God. And there, there's blind people, which means they don't know the truth. And they're leading people astray. And what is their end? What is the end Jesus says here? It's to the pit. And so how does Jesus respond to this? How does he respond? Look at verse number 12. He sighed deeply in his spirit. Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And Matthew goes on to say, except the sign of Jonah. What's the sign, what's the sign of Jonah? Well, Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a whale. Then he was, you know, barfed out and he was able to live. Jesus was three days and three nights in the ground, in the tomb, and then he was resurrected. And he's saying that the sign that will prove that I'm the Messiah will, will come, will come, the resurrection. But how does Jesus respond to their unbelief at this moment? What does it say? Jesus sighed deeply in his spirit. Verse 2, he had compassion and love for the people listening to God's word. In verse 12, he was sorrowful. And why? Because these religious leaders believed something that was false. They were blind to the truth and their beliefs were leading them to hell. That's how Jesus views this world. Brothers and sisters, Jesus 
views those people who are unbelievers, those people over in different countries, those people that are worshiping a different way. He believes them. He views them with sorrow and sadness because they're believing something that's leading them to hell. Think about Jesus standing in front of these Pharisees. They're all in their religious get up there, right? On their way to, you know, the synagogue or wherever they were going. And here are people who are creatures he created. Here are people who are blind to their sin and the judgment to come. And only a few short years, they'll take their last breath. They'll wake up in hell. They right now think they're good enough and they have disdain for Jesus. And how deeply his heart hurt because he was their savior standing right in front of them. Like, think of that perspective. And they said, we don't want you. Does our heart, brothers and sisters, does our heart hurt like that for people? You know, sometimes we can turn the TV on. We can see the news. We can see people that disagree with us, and our hearts go, oh, those people. I don't know about you, but I saw this past week what happened in Illinois with the, the law that was that was is, is being passed or was passed for for partial birth abortion. It's like your heart just so sad. But then I was as I was reading this, I was thinking, you know what? There are so many people there in Illinois that don't know Jesus Christ. And the people that are going and having those those abortions, those people need Jesus. Those people need Jesus. And may our heart hurt for those people because they're they're going to a destination that would bring them much loneliness and pain and judgment from God. And so Jesus' heart is hurting. Look at verse 13. He left them. He got into a boat. He went to the other side. And what does he do when he's in the boat? He teaches his disciples, verse 14. They had forgotten to bring bread. So you have all these big baskets. And they're like, oh, we had all the big baskets. We didn't bring it. Can you believe that? Whose fault was that? What are they focused on at this moment? Who brought the bread? Who didn't bring the bread? Whose fault was that? What's going on? You ever had that in your car when you're in the van? It's like, I thought you were going to bring that on our vacation. Well, I thought you were going to do it. You didn't bring the sunscreen. We're going to the beach. What in the world? Like, guys, we're going across. We had all those big baskets of bread. And Okay, you can kind of imagine the conversation they're having. And verse 14, and they only had one loaf with them in the boat. Of course, it's probably Judas. and probably was in his pocket. He's like, I'm keeping it for myself. But verse 15, and he cautioned them saying, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and leaven of Herod. So what's Jesus doing? He's teaching them. He's saying, like, guys, open your spiritual eyes to the Pharisees and what they believe and the influence they have. So the last view that Jesus gives to us is his desire he has for spiritual maturity. So this is what he's going to do. He's going to help these disciples see the truth about his desire for them to grow spiritually. Look at verse 14. Now they had forgotten to bring bread. I'm sorry, I already read that. Verse 16. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus saw this spiritual reality here. And they, all they saw was the physical reality. All they saw what was what was happening around them. And verse 17 says, And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Like, Do you not perceive or understand? I mean, that's the problem right there. Jesus is saying, Don't you see, here's the problem. It's your view. It's your perception. It's your spiritual sight. Are your hearts hardened? Verse 18, have your eyes, you having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? 
Do you not remember? Now, listen, they did remember, but they weren't recalling it to their mind. Because he says, look at verse 19. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, 12. Well, they remembered. But they weren't remembering the important part, right? And that is that Jesus was the one that provided. How about verse 20? And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets are full full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said, seven. And he said to them, do you not understand? Do not perceive and how soon we can forget the work of God in our life, how soon we can forget and ignore the promises of God. Why is that? Because our hearts, our eyes don't see clearly what God is doing. So what's the answer here? Jesus needs to give these guys more clarity, spiritually, so they can see and grow in spiritual maturity. In fact, I wrote this down. That spiritual maturity is this. It means your eyes see more clearly the world the way Jesus sees it. Your eyes see more clearly the world the way Jesus sees it. And how do we do that? Like, so I, I want to do that. What does that take? What, what happens? Well, the word of God is the revelation of Jesus Christ. So as we understand the word of God, we can understand how Jesus views the world. In fact, listen to this verse. 1 Corinthians thirteen eleven. Paul wrote this. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, in other words, when I matured, I gave up my childish ways. And so he's saying, like, we all need to grow in maturity. Well, what does that look like? Verse 12 of that passage says, for now we see in a mirror dimly. And the mirror, when it talks about the mirror in the scriptures, it's talking about the word of God. So now we look in God's word. We're seeing the scriptures. We see in a mirror dimly. Now, what do you do when you look in a mirror? You see reality, don't you? When I woke up this morning, I went and looked in the mirror and saw the reality of some things that were going on in my person, right? Some things we don't really like very much. And back then, you think about their mirrors. They didn't have as clear mirrors, especially if you were poor, as we did. Maybe it was like a a piece of something polished. So they're looking in the mirror. We can see it dimly. We can see reality. We don't see it very clearly. It's not like standing right in front of Jesus. We can see him and his truth from the word of God. So we, we look into a mirror dimly. Then, face to face. In other words, there'll be a day when we die and we'll see Jesus and we'll go, oh, that's reality. (laughs) I was not understanding it clearly, but that's not the desire God has for us. He wants us to gain more clarity while we're on earth. He says, for I know in part now, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been known. And so my point is this, is that Jesus needs to give us spiritual sight So when you give your life to Jesus Christ, when you believe that he is your Lord and Savior, he does a supernatural work to give you spiritual sight. But even as you're a Christian, you need to look into God's word and see what God's view, what Jesus' view is of this world. And are you going to have a perfect perspective? Absolutely not. Not until you see Jesus. And then you'll be changed to be like him. And you'll see him as he is. And you'll see reality. But in the meantime, we need to be in God's word and viewing life from his perspective, which means what? How, did, how does Jesus view people? He goes, oh, there's a person that I love. And that's why I came to this world. How does Jesus view those who are, have unbelief? Oh, there's are people who are rejecting the Lord. He has sorrow. And how does he view maturity? He wants you to grow in your understanding and your knowledge of him.
So how does this happen? We must go into the word of God, but then we end with the story of the blind man. What is Jesus showing us there? You must have the touch of Jesus Christ in your life in order to spiritually see. You can't do it on your own. The disciples couldn't do it on their own. The Pharisees couldn't do it on their own. This blind man couldn't do it on his own. And how did he get this? Look down in verse 22. How did they initiate this touch from Jesus to this blind man? It says, and begged to touch him. That word begged is a prayer, is a prayer. We must pray and say, Jesus Christ, I don't see clearly. I want to see more clearly. I want to understand your truth. Please help me to understand. Then we go into God's word and we seek the truth of the Lord. We seek the truth of the Lord. Our constant prayer must be, Lord Jesus, help me open my spiritual eyes. Show me more clearly who you are and how you view this world. Lord, give me eyes. Give me eyes to see the people that you love. To see the sorrow that you have for unbelief and the desire you have for maturity. And first, what does that take? It takes humility on our part, right? We have to admit that we aren't there. We might be wrong. And Jesus needs to correct it. He needs to correct it. So let's pray. Jesus Christ, we believe you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are the infinite, all-powerful, sovereign king of the universe, creator of all that came to live on this earth as a man, to die and be resurrected. And the reality is, is that we don't see reality like we should. We have so many things that can cloud our mind, so many uh, delights of this world that really actually only make life more confusing and distract from the true reality of Jesus Christ. And so I pray that this morning for each person in here, each each lighthouse Bible church brick in here, each person, that you will help each one of us to more clearly see who you are more clearly see the the people in this world as people that you love. I pray as we go home, we look at our spouse, as we go home, we look at our children, our grandchildren, or we go home and look at the people that we live with, people we work with. I pray we'll see them how you see them, and they're, they're people for whom Christ died. God, I pray that you'll give us really a grief in our heart for people who are not believing, and may it motivate us to go out with the gospel of Jesus Christ and present the truth of them. And God, give us as a church a strong desire to grow in maturity. May we not be apathetic. May we not think, well, we've already done that. We've already been there. But may we thirst for the knowledge of Jesus Christ. May we see in the glass of God's word more clearly. And then, Lord Jesus, we look forward to seeing you face to face where we can see the truth. We can see it all so plainly. And it's right there in front of us. And then we can spend eternity with you. And I pray, Lord, if there's someone in here who doesn't know you, may they know these realities. May you open their eyes to see the truth. In Jesus' name, amen.